So, yeah, you know, usually our audio quality is not uh, a shining light on the show. Hi, I'm George Tekmachov here with Steve the Big Cat Anderson for another Eastern Target Archery podcast. Uh, first time you and I have done one together for a little while because of uh, circumstances, but we're back and uh, hopefully we can talk about some quality stuff here for the next few minutes. Well, we were just talking about quality stuff, that being audio quality. Were you recording when we said that? Yeah, I, I was actually. Oh, great. That doesn't mean it'll show up on the podcast, though. You yeah, know, we may have to edit out the front as we see fit. It depends, right? It all depends on how, you know, how well the rest of the show goes, I guess. So, what have you been up to, man? Um, nothing. Isn't that what everyone's been up to? <laughs> well, that's what you're not supposed. You're supposed to be up to nothing. But here in Utah, we have the distinction of having outdoor recreation specifically listed as a essential activity. Yeah, yeah. I'm uh I'm fine with that. We're also like doing pretty pretty good at controlling the spread here in Utah. Yeah, this is true. I I don't know if that's because people in Utah are not as friendly as people in other places or just because you know, maybe they wash their hands more. I don't know. But you're right. Thankfully, the situation uh, does not appear to be on the same acceleration curve specifically here as it has been in some other places. So, And, and some hopeful news as we record this today. The uh, governor of New York basically said that his state and seven other states, or maybe a total of seven states, are going to be uh, reopening pretty soon. And uh, that the, the worst of it has, uh, has approached and, and departed. So hopefully things are going to get better soon. Let's hope. I've had about enough of coronavirus talk, COVID. You know, the funniest thing that I got out, there was a lot of funny content that came from this, right? Um, the internet really had a heyday because everyone was on the internet. But there was, there was one meme that I really liked, and it was Cosmo Kramer from Seinfeld. And it said, people who call it coronavirus, and it had Cosmo Kramer dressed up, I don't remember as what, you know, I think just in his normal clothing, looking like a crazy guy. And then it said people who call it COVID-19 and it had Kramer in a tuxedo. And then it said people who call it the Rona. And it had Kramer when he's wearing like the pimp coat of many colors walking down the street with a cane. So that was a great meme for me as a big Seinfeld fan. Does that mean that you've started calling it the Rona? <laughs> I, I do my best to not <clears throat> talk about it, not say anything about it. Everyone's tired of it. Like, I don't need to add to it for them. You know? Right. And in fact, the podcast, the, is, is, the podcast is not about that subject, but we can't help but touch on the results of that subject. Specifically, yeah, well, because, yeah. specifically how it's, they relate to our sport. And it's had a huge effect on our sport. So yeah, we everything, everything from the Olympics to local tournaments and everything in between. And, yes. uh, you know, the latest information is that the NFAA has had to basically cancel uh, the majority of its events for the next couple of months. Um, in a few minutes, actually, uh, I'm speaking with Bruce Cull about that. So we'll get the we'll get the direct skinny from Bruce. But the um, the bottom line is, you know, worldwide, World Archery is not recognizing any events through June 30th. Basically, there are no international events taking place. 
just last night I found out Japan has basically canceled everything up to the fall. And, uh, you know, it's the same story in most countries, I'm sure, right now. So um, what are you doing, Steve, to, to deal with the downtime? Um, you know, not, not necessarily uh, from the standpoint of competition, but just to keep yourself, you know, competitive or in good shape shooting-wise. Um, I haven't been shooting, so <laughs> I've I've shot once in the last like forty days or something like that. No, it's uh, it's actually ideal for me to take a little time away with literally no shooting, um, minus a bit here and there, just to let like I've had I've been fighting like a neck problem that just stems from you know, overdevelopment of the back muscles on the right side. So you get an imbalance and pretty soon one side of your neck hurts because everything connects. Oh yeah. So I've been, I've been fighting that a little bit and it's been nice to just step away and kind of let everything heal up a little bit. And then, uh, you know, I shot the other day and I still shot really well. So it it goes to prove that there's very little, you, you need to be, physically strong to get through your arrows and physically strong to you know maintain your technique and form throughout the course of an event but once it, it it's very much like riding a bike if you've got the mental discipline to go through your shot routine then you can step right back to it and get you know pretty good results so i hadn't shot in 34 days i shot a match with linda shot 150 with 10x had not shot outdoors since last outdoor season. So I felt pretty good about that, you know? That speaks well of the compound bow from a certain point of view. You you can't do that with a recurve bow. You just can't get away with no, that. No, there's that part. Yeah, like I said, there's, a, there's an element of needing to be physically strong enough, and that means shooting arrows, right? You can't really replicate it through other workouts. You truly need to just shoot the bow. If you're physically strong enough, then it all comes back to the same thing, and that's the mental approach to everything, you know, and, and yes, with a recurve there, you have to do a lot more. You aren't going to take 34 or 36 days off and, and then come back and shoot a, nope. you know, world-class score. <clears throat> nope. No chance of that. But, you know, I've been keeping up SPTs and doing stuff of that nature so that I, um, have been able to build up some strength. You know, my, my, uh, competition plans for this summer have pretty much been derailed though, because, uh, there's just no way to, get outdoors and get any kind of distance in. So uh, shooting into the uh, second bathroom, which has a nice target set up in there, and <laughs> that's about all I can do right now. Huh, you were planning on shooting a little bit this summer, huh? Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, with a little more time on my hands, I figured I could certainly take advantage of that. But, uh, you know, then, then they decided to leash a pandemic on us, so... Then the Rona happened. Yes, exactly. My Corona, as the song goes. All right. Do you think anyone will be like, 2020 was a great year? I don't think anyone will say that. Or there might be some, I mean, someone is making huge money off this. There always is someone who... Hand sanitizers. Yeah. <laughs> someone's playing the stock market right, or someone's business is just igniting because of this and, you know, taking off. And there will be... There will this will like stem the next Amazons and Apples and all that you know the huge companies that are going to grow from this. That's kind of exciting to think about. But um, yeah, we don't know what the long term is going to be out of this, huh? Really, right, I mean, we don't. 
someone someone out very few people are out there like 2020 man what a great year yeah but to your point hopefully something positive will come of this that we can't maybe anticipate now but we'll we'll see down the line hey we've got uh we've got listeners with questions you want to jump into some of those have you had a chance to look at any of that i'm gonna pull it up right now but let's jump in while i'm pulling it up well let's do so uh let's see first one here um comes from Ethan. He wants to know, how much does vein contact on a blade rest really affect arrow tune? Ethan says, lots of people are using dropaways, especially for Pro Tour size arrows, but I've been able to get my X10s to tune no problem with my blade. Pros and cons of a dropaway versus blade and how much vein contact with the blade really matters to get a good consistent tune. Thanks for the question, Ethan. You want to give it a shot? We've talked about this before, yep. and I actually thought about, you know, during this downtime, I was going to finally create that video that I promised to someone about three years ago where I shoot the, the, the arrow upside down on the blade. That you've promised happens. multiple times that you've just not gotten around to doing that. So I understand. Yeah. I'm a busy guy. Yeah, um, yeah. Now, with that said, the amount of con- – I mean, I can't say – there's no measurement for contact, right? Like right. There's a, a little bit, a lot, or none. Um, certain setups are going to, you know, contact's going to be more critical. Certain setups, it's not going to really make a huge difference if you're kissing off the blade a little bit. But um, by all means, the, the vast majority of the best shooters in the world use a blade rest and have no issues with it. So, Unless you're just completely like with an absolutely abhorrently poor setup, um, I think you'll be just fine with a little bit of contact. Well, there's a good answer. I also I, I will elaborate just a skosh on a couple of aspects of this. First of all, Ethan, part of the part of the good thing about a bow and arrow system is that as long as the inputs are the same every time, the outcome will be the same every time. And by that, what I'm saying is. If the arrow hits the blade the same way, the same every time, uh, every time you shoot, then you're probably going to get the same impact uh, from shot to shot. Now, that means that your knock indexing needs to be pretty much dead on. And, you know, whatever amount of maybe twist you've got on your veins. In other words, if you're going to touch, touch consistently. So that's all I would point out on that. And that's one of the reasons why if I was bear shaft tuning... I would fletch the arrow and then cut the vein off besides the base, right? Leave the base of the vein on. That way you're replicating contact. So many guys, they're trying to chase a bear shaft tune, but it's like, well, there's, there's other factors involved. Like, yes, maybe a little bit of contact that is not going to ruin your day. Um, but you just got to, got to make sure you're consistent when going from one to the next, you know, from bear shaft to a fletch shaft. But Yeah. Yeah, I like that. That's an excellent point. It's uh, it has its parallel in the recurve side with bear shaft tuning as well. When I advocate bear shaft tuning, I also advocate adding a bit of tape to the back of the arrow to make up for the mass weight of veins that aren't there anymore. And that becomes particularly important with stuff like rubber veins, where you can have nine grains difference, which can actually make a tuning difference. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. So good question from uh, from Ethan. Thanks for that one, Paul Clay. Uh, can we have the autumn orange back in the aluminum range, please? I saw you did it in the FMJ and they still look great. <laughs> yeah, that might be something we have to explore. Um, I, I'm pushing, well, I shouldn't, I shouldn't say this, but 
I hope that we can get to the point as a company where we can run some small batch specialized colors and stuff like that and you know sell those and I, I think I just think that would be cool if every now and again there was a very limited number very very limited number of say purple x27s and orange x23s and stuff like that i think people would like it i just need to make sure we can get to the point as a company where we can uh we can do that and have it be seamless i I totally agree and you know i've advocated you know little runs of of special stuff every once in a while for a long time so I, i agree with that mike anderson who i believe might be related to you yes wants to know what is my most memorable moment in archery I would have to say sitting in the stadium at the Barcelona Olympic Games watching Antonio Raboyo launch that eastern arrow toward the cauldron and nailing the shot. That would be my most memorable moment in archery. I think uh, for anyone who saw that, whether – and, and that, that goes beyond just archery. A lot of people, that's their most memorable Olympic moment, right? Right. Or at least opening ceremonies moment. For right. others – it's probably an individual performance of an athlete or whatever. But um, I think anyone, if you were to talk about opening ceremonies, most people who have watched the Olympics back to that point, they all, they all talk about that. Yeah. I, I would say that, uh, you know, if you're talking about during the games themselves, certainly the American, uh, the American team and Justin Hewish individually winning in 96 and my good friends, Ojin Hyuk and Takahara Furukawa shooting against each other for the gold medal in London, would also qualify up there. But uh, as far as the most memorable moment in archery overall, I got to say it was at the Olympics in Barcelona in 92 at that opening ceremony. So that, and it's archery, right? I mean, you know, Antonio, Antonio shot an arrow. So two yeah, billion, two billion people are estimated to have seen that shot at the time. That's how many people were watching on TV. How many people confuse who that was? And I don't know the guy's name. But I know it wasn't Sebastian Flute. No, he's the guy that won the Olympics. It Sebastian yes. won the games, but Antonio Raboyo is the fellow who, in fact, he's a Paralympian who uh, launched that perfect shot. So, right. so there you go, Mike. Thanks for listening to the show. Um, Mike Pastelli is ans- asking a question that we really can't answer. Even if we knew the answer, I don't think we could answer it. He wants to know, what's the top-selling outdoor target arrow ever in terms of units? And why do you think this is so? I will say that it's probably the X7, even though that's an aluminum arrow, uh, because that was the target arrow for 20-something years. And um, as far as quantities go, I will bet, quantity-wise, that's probably the most prolific target arrow ever. So that would be my guess. You, you want a hazard one, Steve? Well, yeah, quantity-wise, simply because... Yes, it was considered an outdoor target arrow for a good bit of time, and there was kind of no rival during that time. And then uh, still being sold today to many people from a recreational standpoint. and Yeah, and still getting used so outdoors too. Used, yeah, not so much being used outdoors, you know, other than the recreational type stuff. Like well, and specifically and there, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, David wants to know if you could sit down for lunch with anyone dead or alive, who would it be? Oh, I like that question, and you could spend quite a bit of time on that one. I assume this means archery related. <laughs> uh, well, it doesn't say; it just says anyone dead or alive. 
Oh man. Oh, that'd be a tough a, one. That's a tough one. Neil Armstrong comes to mind yeah. for me personally. Never got to meet Neil Armstrong. I met I met Mike Collins, the uh, Apollo astronaut Mike Collins. I spent quite a bit of time with him, in fact, but I never got to meet Neil Armstrong, and I think that would be an interesting guy to talk to. Yeah, just because the amount of math and science those guys understand that be would be pretty cool to see. You know, they've seen stuff very few people have ever seen. Um, I was a, I was a big Buzz Aldrin fan because when I heard he punched that kid, I thought that was cool. <laughs> <laughs> but there's there's such a long list; it'd be awfully hard to say. Yeah, how about yeah, keep it to yeah, archery? Let's, let's yeah, let's just say let's narrow it down to archery. Why don't you you go ahead and go first? Al Henderson, the American coach Al Henderson. I would love to spend a few hours with Al. He's uh, he's departed, of course, but. Uh, I think he would have some great insight into some things, and I'd love to be able to to have lunch with Al Henderson. That probably <laughs> that probably dates me a certain way, but I don't care. I'm trying to think within archery, man. I've been it, the the game has really exploded in terms of participation and numbers, and mostly um, just the connection across the globe, right? Because sure. Sure. social media and we're just we're just more connected now in my time than we were say even 20 years ago yeah so maybe you a retired or <laughs> departed archer you know somebody who's no longer around maybe like vic berger somebody like that or you know uh fred bear you know anyway yeah it's an interesting question but i don't i can't come up with quick answers for that but it's a good question so maybe uh yeah, maybe we'll come back to it, it. I don't have a great answer. Maybe uh, who was the Japanese archer that was like a huge rock star? Uh, you're thinking of Hiroshi Yamamoto. Yeah, Yamamoto. I think that would be it'd be cool to to meet him and you know just see. See, I, I kind of take I, I take him for granted because I have lunch with him almost every time I go to Japan. <laughs> right. Yeah. See, and I. It, I have been around everybody who's in, you know, modern day archery. I've met everybody. Oh, yeah. Even even going back to like the first world champion, Gary Broadhead, you know. Oh yeah, sure. So or or Joe Acey. Oh know? yeah. Local uh, fella who uh you know, he uh he's the first world indoor champion. Yeah. Or Bob Jacobson, Jake, right? Yeah, who's still around, thankfully. Uh, and he's been He's been at, I think, every Vegas forever. That's right. Every, every, Vegas. every Vegas. Yeah, like 55 Vegases or 54 Vegases, whatever the number is. So stuff like that. Yeah. So yeah, within archery, it would have to be it has to be someone, you know, fairly foreign. I, I don't have I don't have a great answer there. I'm thinking maybe Howard Hill might also qualify as one of those people that would be interesting to sit down with for a little while. Yeah. You know, people who've just had a big impact. You know who else? I think Doug Easton would be really interesting to sit down with. Yeah, you could probably yeah, that that would be that'd be the layup answer for me, just because, you know, you, you knew Jim so well and Greg yeah. and um But I never got to know Doug and I think that would be really interesting to uh get the trifecta as it were. Uh huh. Man, it's really it's interesting how like the movers and shakers in the archery industry, I've been fortunate enough to be tied into all of them, you included. Um, you know, and then 
I, I met Jim uh, when they opened the the center. You know, unfortunately, I, I didn't get to meet him when he was running the company and stuff like that. Oh yeah. But uh, you know, so you you've caught you've been on you you've seen really everything in archery as we know it today. Cause well, I was super lucky to get to work with Jim Easton directly and guys like Don Rabska and Gary Felice and some of those, you know, kind of archery legends out there who, um, you know, Dick Tone, of course, and, you know, all these people that, uh, that everybody looks up to in our sport. I've been so lucky to be able to work with some of these folks that, uh, yeah, it's, it's uh, quite humbling, no doubt. Yeah, and I mean, prior to, God, I don't know when archery really became, when was it first contested in the Olympics? 72 Olympic Games would be the first one, uh, in the modern era. That's when, yeah, to me, that's when archery started, because prior to that, what was it was mostly just people probably shooting wood arrows, wood bows, you know, homemade stuff, it was more... Well, okay, so in the 19, if you look at the history of the Easton Company, that's how it was in the 1930s, and that's why Doug Easton set out to create a better arrow, basically, was to help to grow the sport by creating an affordable arrow that was consistent. And so after World War II is when archery kind of took off, and metal arrows and, uh, and commercial tackle started becoming more readily available. So on that level, I think you could say, yeah, you're right up until the start of the, first, the Second World War, and then after... You know, nobody was shooting a whole lot of archery, kind of like now. Nobody was shooting a whole lot of archery during the uh, the thing that was occupying everybody. And, um, right. you know, after that, uh, archery kind of blew up. It really got big. And part of the reason it got big was because you didn't have to spend a month's salary to buy a dozen really good arrows. You know, the, the timing yeah. of Doug Easton introducing the aluminum arrow was ideal for helping grow the sport. Um, yeah, and speaking, the, the you know, sport has just taken off since, you know. Yeah, with you know, with this current situation, honestly, being you know, in my thirty-something years in archery, thirty-seven years, I guess, um, this would be the first real stumble that we have had in my lifetime, and you know, it's a significant one, right? It's a big reset button on a lot of people's expectations. Um, and, you know, I mean, it's affecting everybody across the globe. It's affecting every archery federation, every archery club, every archer, every shop, every manufacturer, every worker, everybody who's got a stake in the sport. And the same is true across every other sport. But, um, you know, things are going to come back. It might be a good time for us to have a quick chat with Bruce Cull from the NFAA because that's one of the organizations of many that has had a significant impact from what's going on. And uh, we spoke to Bruce a little bit about uh, the schedule and how it's affecting what's going on and where things are going from here. And so we're here with Bruce Cull, the uh, president of the NFAA Foundation and the executive director of the National Field Archery Association of the United States, which is one of the organizations that is certainly um, impacted by uh, COVID-19 and what has been happening around the world. Bruce, thanks for joining us today. Yes, thanks for having me, George. Bruce, one of the one of the things that uh, your organization has in common with every single other archery organization is the uncertainty of the calendar and, you know, the impact that that's having on your organization has to be astronomical. The the inability to put on these events has got to be a big hit, a uh, negative hit. 
Yeah, there, there's no doubt. It's um, definitely um, virgin territory, um, something I've never experienced. Uh, gladly, I guess, and, and hopefully nobody else has either. Um, but, you know, one of the things that really hits us so badly is um, that we do so many of these events ourselves. Uh, a host club or, or somebody else. We've got some of those, but, you know, our, our big hit, um, of course, was the National Indoor um, which is something that we've run for years. And, you know, it's also a big source of revenue for us, um, both in servicing our members and also in financially, you know, being able to run the organization. So, yeah, it's been um, been a very interesting year, to say the least. Now, you know, just for the specifics of our uh, discussion, um, you know, let's let's talk about the the items that have been affected. Obviously, the uh, the Louisville Indoor National is one of those things that's affected. There's another event, the Outdoor 3D, which is not, strictly speaking, uh, the NFAA's decision, but that of the Reading, you know, the Western Trail Shoot folks that put that together. So those those two things at least have been impacted. What else? Yeah, those are, those are two of the big ones. And then our third big one that we've just announced this last week is our Outdoor Field Nationals. Um, has been canceled, um, and then along with that have been all of our sectional outdoor championships for field. So, you know, those are the big ones, um, you know, three nationals, um, which really, really hurt. Um, and you're right, you know, the, the Reading shoot is a huge one for us. Um, you know, it's a huge one for Reading, too. It's just been a, a bad deal all the way around. Um, and, and, of course, our, our outdoor this year, our outdoor tournament is one of those that it has the probably the least number of participants of all those but yet it's um obviously very ingrained deep in our roots as um, a field championship with our name of course and this year it was going to be held in Darrington, washington at the end of july and we just you know that particular one we ran into issues with the the club out there being able to even get on the ground and get a lot of the work done they have a lot of it done but between that and you know just the fear of people right now that that's probably the biggest thing um you know we have a representative from the club that have told us that we're having that they're having excuse me people you know where they rent houses are starting to cancel and people that own the houses wanting to cancel because they just don't feel right with somebody coming from a long ways off staying there so yeah that's kind, yeah, of, that's a, kind of understandable yeah just really really uncertain times yeah and you know recognizing that let's let's look at the um a couple of other items that are on the uh on the calendar for the nfaa including um the outdoor target that you have scheduled for uh, yep. this year now that's later in the year so is that still up in the air right now yeah the outdoor target is still scheduled um and that is the I've got to think last week of September is the yeah. uh, the date. Yep, that one and the world field um, would be two of them that are hosted here. And then along uh, kind of is commensurate to the world field is the USA Archery um, National Field with the trials for that world tournament. That one's scheduled in July, and those those three are still scheduled as of the you know as of the current time. Yeah, and um, I had communicated with Rod Menzer from uh, sort of your counterpart at the uh, USA yeah. Archery, and um, Rod indicated that this week, upcoming, there will be some decisions made regarding a few of the USAA events and, uh, you know, the Gator Cup and the uh, uh, the uh, desert, the, the shootout, the Southern California shootout. Uh, those will be rescheduled, 
and there will be uh, dates for those. But he didn't mention anything about field. I guess that's still uh, yeah, until you field. until you get there. I guess you're going to leave it alone. Yeah, and he and I have spoken about it. Um, I think the the obvious thing there is um, the the world tournament. If the you know if the world tournament stays on as scheduled, we're obviously going to need to have uh, trials and a, and a USA Archery National. So and and um, that in fact, know, Bruce, that's true in every country that's a WA yeah. member. Um, a lot of the WA countries are waiting to see what happens in Yankton to see if they will even yeah. have their field trials. Yeah, and I spoke to. Uh, you know, Tom Dillon of World Archery, I, I speak to him all the time. I happened to speak to him this morning. And, um, you know, as of right now, you know, we're waiting to the end of the month. Uh, we're going to revisit it the 1st of May. Um, the one thing I found out and he and I both agreed on, um, you know, we said, what's a drop dead date if we cancel? Um, and he said 60 days prior. He goes, we'd like to be 90, but 60 would work. So, you know, that takes it a long ways out. Um, that could be as far as July 15th. The unfortunate thing is that is the weekend that's scheduled for the USA Archery Trials. So, you know, we're going to, we're hopefully not going to have to wait that long. Um, but we just don't know, you know, from when all this started, um, I would have never guessed we'd be in this situation now. So we're just kind of taking it day by day and, and seeing what's going to open up and what's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, I don't think we have a choice there. You know, the last time you and I spoke on the podcast here, we were still discussing, you know, what might happen for Louisville. Nobody knew that Louisville was going to completely shut down. Nobody knew a lot of the things that we that we think we know now, and we'll probably know things in, in a month that we don't know at the moment. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, day by yeah, day. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's been very challenging, that's no doubt. Um, you know, and we're just, of course, we're trying to take care of, you know, 20,000 members at the same time. We've got a, you know, a staff that's still working. They're all separated. They're in our headquarters. The The facility is closed as far as to the public, um, but we're diligently working, um, you know, trying to, to keep all the states and the clubs uh, with all the information they need. And, you know, one of the things, too, that is going to be an interesting one if it works out Um we're looking seriously at our national doing some type of a virtual, you know, tournament um, and maybe with a final at the end. So that's something that has been in the works since we first talked about it. And, you know, we're still working on that. We're trying to, you know, communicate with the states and the clubs and, um, you know, see if we can find multiple locations across the country where they could, you know, shoot under the same conditions since it's indoor and see if we can't, um, you know, have something that's fun for everybody when all this opens up. Well, that, that kind of initiative is something that I think we're going to see more of, more more creativity in terms of figuring out ways to create opportunities. You know, uh, WA, for example, has got their virtual league going on, and I think that, uh, yeah. you know, as, as, we, uh, as we get to a point sooner or later when we're able to get back together physically and shoot, those things might go by the wayside. But in the meantime, there's a lot of opportunity there for people to come up with interesting ideas for keeping competition going yeah exactly i mean we just we had a small example of that uh Brittany, our marketing director um this last weekend put out a easter uh egg shoot you know with a special target she made up and people could download it and print it and shoot it and we had a bunch of people do that and, um you know both kids and adults so yeah keeping people engaged and you know giving them something to do and uh, you know, is is definitely something we're looking at. So, you know, on a hopeful side, I'm kind of, uh, I, I can't help but feel that an outdoor archery tournament, you know, with whatever appropriate safety protocols need to be implemented, 
might be the very first and best way for us to start getting back to normalcy. And so hopefully, Bruce, things will work out in that regard and allow you to to put your events on on some level uh, in the next few months. Yeah, yeah, very definitely. That's that's our hope, no doubt. So, Bruce Cull, um, before I wrap up, let me just uh, express my appreciation, and I'm sure I express that for all of our uh, listeners when I say that uh, we do appreciate the fact that your staff and you are continuing to try to uh, manage this situation, keep our sport relevant, and keep it uh, keep it going. So, yeah, absolutely, we're doing all we can and trying to be safe at the same time. Well, thank you, Bruce. Appreciate your uh, appreciate your time on this, and uh, we'll catch up again soon when we have some more information on where we were at with the uh, calendar. Perfect. Thanks, George. Well, there's no question that the uh, the biggest impact that we're going to see that has sort of a global ripple is that whole situation with World Field, Steve, because a lot of federations are waiting to do their trials process contingent on World Field Championship going forward in Yankton as currently scheduled. And that includes right. uh, USA Archery. Um, I was I was talking earlier today offline with uh, with Rod Menzer, and Rod indicated that yeah, we're we're just confirming you know what's going on with Yankton in order to to clarify our trials situation. So that's how it stands right now. And they you could know, always uh, use our nationals from last year. I'd be fine with that. I was third, so yeah, I bet you would. <laughs> you never know. That that could be a that could be an alternative, I suppose. The um, as as Bruce mentioned, though, one of the things that he's got a commitment from from WA is they're looking for a sixty day window. So that means July fifteenth or so is kind of the drop dead date to make a decision. So hopefully between now and then things will vastly improve. That's our certain hope. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm hopeful and I'm optimistic for it. So. Let's pick up a couple more listener questions. Uh, still a couple out there. Jeff wants to know uh, that as he ages, he's starting to feel it more and more in his shoulder of his bow arm. Um, so he'd like to ask us, what are some good preventative exercises and would doing warm-ups help? And I, I'll answer first if, you, if you're okay with that. I'm, I'm just going to say absolutely, absolutely warm-ups help. And the older you get, the more important warm-ups may be, Jeff. I would get yourself a stretch band, and I would absolutely make sure that if you're starting to feel it, particularly in your shoulder, that you're um, giving it proper treatment with, uh, with ice after shooting and uh, alternate heat and cold, and maybe talk to your either family physician or to a sports physiologist if you have access to one to see about what you can do for yourself specifically. And Steve, as a high-level athlete, I'm sure you've got some thoughts on this too. Yeah, and four or five years ago, I would have joked that uh, no one on the U.S. compound team warmed up, and it was true. We we weren't we weren't big on on the warm ups, and uh, we were kind of at our peak competitively then too. So we felt good about ourselves and our lack of warm up routine. But you know, five years have gone by, and I've gotten older, and I try to warm up now. So I uh, yeah, I feel it a little bit, and I got to try to take care of stuff so I can get, you know, another five years, 10 years out of my career. And uh, another thing I do is just your basic shoulder raises with the, the key is, is everyone, everyone who, especially men, they pick up a 10 pound dumbbell, 15 pound dumbbell, even 20 pound dumbbell. And they do side raises, you know, basically where you're taking your arms just from your side up to, 
90 degrees or they do the front raise same thing and that's just it's that's that's a good thing to do but i always do it with a lot less weight i think too much weight is just a problem so i use five pound dumbbell and just do you know 10 to 15 reps three times and that will your your shoulders will start to burn feel a little tired but that will help prevent some of that uh, soreness later on. And I, I dealt with shoulder problems playing basketball. I dislocated them a couple times, both of them. You know, you just you get hammered on and stuff pops out. And uh, um, so I would always I was trying to get the shoulders tightened back up and just just basic shoulder exercises, but don't go for power go for high repetition it'll help in the long run okay that, that sounds like wise advice second part of jeff's question is kind of related he says that he gets the physics of having weight on a distal endpoint to prevent movement but he says i sure seem to hold steadier when i have three to five ounces max on my bars you all big believers in massive weight on your stabilizer setup i know some pros extol its virtues Jeff, I would say most of those pros that are shooting the heavy weight are also, you know, doing other things to help biomechanically, uh, and also they're offsetting some of that weight. And I think that that's part of the key. The the more you can put on the bow, the better it's going to be in the wind. That's just physics, right? The heavier the thing is, the harder it's going to be to move. At the same time, the heavier it is, the harder it's going to be to stop. So, um, it's all just about how much strength you've got, and a lot of a lot of that is going to also matter how you shoot your shot. You know, I would guess if you take these guys who have thirty ounces on the front bar, I bet they're you put a load cell on them. I bet they're pulling pretty darn hard. Whereas other guys who shoot a more relaxed shot, like Jesse, um, they're they're you don't ever see them with that kind of weight. You know, Jesse Jesse runs similar three, four, five ounces on his stabilizers, so. You don't have to do it anyway. It's it, it by all means should be tailored to whatever works best for you, and the number that you come out with for total stabilizer weight is completely arbitrary. After that, you know, purely by coincidence, the question we've got now from Andre fits into some of this discussion. He says, "Hey, Steve Anderson, hope all is good. I'm having an issue with a loose float for the first time in a long time and can't get it to settle down. In turn, causing some target panic. I'm shooting the Elite Result." spelled with a Z. So I've played with lengthening and shortening draw, taking all weight off the bow, off the bars, and slowly added back on. I blank bailed with not much improvement. Any tips or tricks for Andre, Steve? So it sounds like the loose float, it's causing some target panic. And in turn, there's probably, you know, a bit of a, how do I, how do I say this? anticipation or an attempt to try to get things pretty soon by the time you're trying to get things to aim tighter and you're engaging all sorts of muscles that shouldn't be engaged and it's just causing more problems. So there's a bit of, it needs to kind of relax a little bit, commit to the shot. And part of that's going to be doing some aiming drills. And, you know, there's, there's a number of people who have posted about aiming drills online, uh, stuff you can do just to, try to get that mind relaxed again so that you're trusting the shot. Um, and, and I, I feel confident that this is, it's more mental than anything because he's done what he needs to do adjustment wise to try to clean it up and it's not working. So it's, you know, something in the, 
in the mind or in the shot execution, release hand, something like that. Yep. But, uh, yeah, work some aiming drills and come back to it. I would also point out that sometimes letting it float is is better as long as you're focused on execution. Let it float, and you might delight yourself with where the arrows actually go. Um, sometimes that just works, and then the rest of your mind, particularly subconscious, can fall into line, Andre, if you uh, if you let that happen. Yeah. Uh, I found that There's... to work. Go ahead. No, I was just saying I found that to work with both uh, firearms and with bows. So I, why, oh, okay. not, why not give it a try? Yeah, and then, you know, something else. Too many people try to aim at too small of a dot when they're just out practicing, you know. Yep. Um, I mean, we all know people like to say, they love to say aim small, miss small, but sometimes aim tight is not good. Aim middle. Yeah. Right? It's not about about missing small, it's about hitting the middle. Right. So that's, I can aim at the middle of a, 10 foot piece of yellow if it's a circle i can find the way to aim at it and our scope and our eye and blah 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 we'll kind of naturally center on it so yeah don't aim at small dots um and then something else, a lot of people try to aim at the middle of the dot right or hold in the middle rather than you can change you can change your thought process here to where you're trying to hold i'm not trying to aim at the middle i'm trying to aim at the middle of the yellow right so which is a bigger area now I'm, yeah now i'm seeing that yellow on the outside of my dot now i'm looking at my dot being I'm just trying to center it in the yellow rather than trying to aim it at the middle because when i try to aim it at the middle sometimes i want to move the dot to see the middle so change your change your perspective on on your aim sometimes that alone can do a lot i like it thanks all right. Uh, last one is going to be Jason, who's asking, "What is your Steve best setup in the last five years?" And uh, bow rest arrow stabilizer sight is what he's asking for. If you if you need a minute, let me know. But uh, uh, if you have a quick answer to that, that's fine too. Yeah. Well, the one that I absolutely won the most with was my silver prevail. Um. Do I think that Hoyt has improved on that with the Invicta? Yes, I do. Unfortunately, I'm not the only one who has one. So I would like to be the only one who has the new bow for like a year, right? And see what I can do with it. But if you look at if you look at what people, bow manufacturers are continually putting out better stuff. And if you don't believe me, look at the scores that people are continually improving upon. Yeah. You know, we're all seeing, of them. All of the manufacturers seem to be doing that. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, look at guys who it used to be a big deal to shoot 597, 598 indoor FIDA, and now 597 at name, you're probably going to be like fifth, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, or close to you'll be close to the top. No, the game has elevated. Um, yeah, guys are shooting 600s now, it's happening. There's multiple dudes who have done it. Um, the women are scoring higher than ever, it, so. The new technology is, I don't know, like I said, I don't know a company who's putting out a worse product no. one year over the next. I don't think anybody has had um, a, a, a step backwards, per se. Yeah, but in terms of my, my best setup, the one I did the best with was absolutely my Silver Prevail. And uh, I just shot it really well. And I would set up other Prevails and go shoot them, and I'd shoot them pretty good. But then I'd go back to the Silver one, and I'd shoot it better. So whatever... 
whatever it was, it jived with me. You know, there's so many little things that can change. You can you can set up ten bows all the same, get them identical on a electronic draw board and all that, and get them identical. And sometimes you just find that one that is a little different. From- yeah, which is because identical is not really yeah, even between two recurve bows. Yeah, you can't uh, get it. It's yeah. a feel thing, you know. Sure it's hard to define. It. It's definitely yeah, a feel thing. You get draw length pretty much the same, poundage pretty much the same. You can try to get the loop length the same, but then it's all those other little things like where's the loop position, peep height, you know. Maybe yes, you can. All of these things are adjustable, but it's hard to when there's when there's little stuff like the diameter of your cables the peep height, the position of the loop, where your rest is sitting, you know, the grip angle in relation to the, the uh, loop location, blah, blah, blah. Sometimes you just get one that the stars align on all of that and cherish it when you do. Jim wants to know, how's the fishing? Um, haven't, well, I took a friend out. I had a, my best, my best friend lost his daughter recently and uh, took him out fly fishing and got him into it and gave him a rod and some other stuff. And it, uh, I hope it, I hope it's a, a fun thing for him and a, a good way to, um, you know, keep his mind off things or whatever. You know, an old Wall Street executive once said, fly fishing is cheaper than a therapist. So, I went with him once, and uh, it wasn't great. I caught I caught one nice rainbow. Um, other than that, I haven't really been. But with that said, you know, uh, it's a nice way to social distance. It is. Yeah, I think. <laughs> I, I, unfortunately, I live like an hour and a half from the nearest river now, so I need to figure something out. I need to start fishing ponds or still waters or something. But yeah, it's uh, it's fishing. All right. Next time we talk, we're going to hopefully be in a better place than we are now uh, as as things seem to have turned the corner here, Steve. You got any thoughts for our uh, listeners uh, looking forward to the outdoor season finally starting? I have uh, no thoughts other than <laughs> other than let's all just try to work together. You know, so many, so many people, like I said at the start of the show, have proclaimed their opinion and their expertise on a subject they know literally nothing about so many of them are constantly like their social media has just become a disease worse than the the COVID-19 you know so many people are using it to spout off and it's like hey you know if you're going to spout off like what are you going to do about this there's a lot of talk and very little action and I think it's it's just a lot better for all of us if we work together on a united front and try to get through this so that we can, you know, do things like shoot archery again someday. An unusually serious but well said end of show. <laughs>